0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined... By Rachel Mogan. How's it going? Going well, going well. Indeed. I'm excited about today's topic.
1: I am too. It's one that we have talked about doing for a long time and we finally buckled down and actually did it. I know. We and, did like, played it in a
0: week week. So, <laughs> we
1: played the game. <laughs> it's great.
0: It's awesome. So we'll get to that in a second. But in case you did not know, Team Chat Podcast is a weekly video game show where we talk about obviously games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. New episodes come out every Tuesday at 9 a.m. and you can listen to those across podcast services around the web as well as watch a video version of each episode on youtube and twitch uh, the links for those are all in everywhere or you can go to teamchatpodcast.com slash where to listen to have links there if finally we are a completely listener supported show so if you would like to uh, help us out and support the show and all that you can go to patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast whereas for as little as a dollar a month you can support the show and in return we will give you a cool perk like getting the episodes early before the general tuesday release again that is patreon.com slash team chat podcast and a special thank you to all of our current patrons who help make each and every episode possible and one more thing if you want to follow us on social media you can do that too we're on facebook twitter instagram and you can join our discord server the link for that is in the description of the episode boom (laughs) all right so without further ado then we're gonna get right into some music because we are really excited to get to this topic but let's let's just see what's coming out soon
1: let's see what's coming out and what's out today so as of this episode's air date on august 21st we have two games out now those are Shenmue one and two for ps4 xbox one and pc
0: remasters i'm assuming right yes
1: and a game that i know jared is very excited about guacamelee 2 guacamelee 2 comes out today for ps4 and pc and then coming soon there's actually a lot so like brace yourself okay Um, so on august 24th we have f1 2018 for ps4 xbox one and pc sounds great i assume that's about formula one racing i assume i god i hope so i don't care Um, A game that I am actually very interested in and may, in fact, buy, Little Dragon's Cafe. I've heard of this one. (laughs) It looks adorable, you guys, like for real. So Little Dragon's Cafe for PS4 and Switch comes out August 28th. If I'm not mistaken, Little Dragon's Cafe is by the same people that did the original Harvest Moon games? Mm. I do believe I am correct about that. Uh, Fuchsia may be able to correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's kind of up her alley. Fact check. Fact check. Uh, We can, uh, never mind. Uh, So also on August 28th, we have a, crap ton of games coming out so i'm just going to read them all out all right we have monster hunter generations ultimate for switch that comes out august 28th we have pro evolution soccer 2019 for ps4 xbox one and pc we have yakuza kiwami 2 for ps4 we have strange brigade for ps4 xbox one and pc we have a lot of strangers we have blade <laughs> strangers for ps4 switch and pc we have donut county I don't know what that is. That, um, Sure. (laughs) I've seen some
0: weird gameplay video of that, and it looks odd.
1: It it must be, I guess, at least in part a mobile game, because Donut County for PS4, PC, and iOS. There you go. So perhaps a mobile game. Uh, We have Da Blob 2 Remastered for Switch, and we have Freedom Planet. Freedom Planet, I know that a lot of people are actually really jazzed about, uh, for Switch. And that one comes out August 30th. All those other ones I just read off in rapid succession all come out August 28th. Nice. A lot of stuff is coming out. A lot next of stuff coming out. And I just remember,
0: too, this hasn't happened yet, but it will have happened by the time this episode airs. August 20th, Life is Strange season two reveal. Oh my
1: God, you're right. Oh, we're going to have so many thoughts about it. Uh,
0: I know this is in the future and this has probably already happened, but we should do a reaction thing we, on, yes. on Monday when yes. it comes out. Yes.
1: Okay. Um, so,
0: so you'll have already seen our reactions to, c- to it by this point. <laughs> but yeah, we should That's do that a good for sure. Idea. Well, if that's all the news that we have going on... That's all the news, good sir. All right, then it's time to jump into our topic where we are going to finally talk about Ninja Theory's Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice.
1: Uh... I we have both wanted to play this game for a long time. It's not new. It came out last year. Last different. year. It actually yeah. just
0: hit its its a uh, year like uh, last week or something like that. Right. Like La- week, two weeks ago by the time this came out. So it's actually a pretty fitting time to revisit it on its one yeah, year. anniversary. Yeah, we're celebrating. We it. planned this. That was
1: intentional. I Everybody remember. else was just
0: flooding the internet, flooding the markets with all their reviews and thoughts. We have and now we just play- decided, In you fact, know what, we played the long yeah, game.
1: We played the long game. We've been and playing we it for a whole year and we just finally.
0: <laughs> and now we won. <laughs> We're the real winners here, <laughs> uh, but I have to say, like, without revealing too much about thoughts and everything, I'm so mad I waited this long to play
1: Are you really? Oh, See, yeah. I feel like I'm not mad at myself for waiting. I'm just glad that I finally did.
0: Same, play it. same thing. Like, it, it, it's a mix of those two things for me. I'm very much just like, wow, okay. But anyway, so we, we won't get too much into this. So, obviously, with the thing of our reviews, right now, we're, what we're going to go into is like development facts about the game that are very much non spoiler. Uh, we'll try to hopefully not air too much into the into that stuff until we finally have worked through all the beginning stuff and then we'll have a section at the end where we will talk about spoilers with the game so if you haven't played the game yet and want to go into it without anything ruined we'll let you know don't listen to the end part it's all good. And we should have links in the description and everything where you yes. can for the timestamps and all that stuff so and you can skip part, around.
1: Part of the reason that Jared and I uh, both bought it at the same time is because it was on sale on the PlayStation Store. Right. So, just so everybody knows, this is the kind of game that has pretty deep sales. It's available for Xbox One, PS4, and PC, uh, not on Switch, but you can get it a lot of different ways.
0: Which now, the other thing that I'm somewhat mad about is that I did buy it on sale because of like once you like
1: oh yeah you want to give them all your money
0: <laughs> i do and because like the the mission and the in the thought behind the game too i was like Man, damn it i feel like a scum <laughs> well,
1: you can go back you have an xbox I I you know. can go that's true. buy can another buy the copy. xbox that's true
0: that's <laughs> very true but uh but anyway so let's jump into this so basically border like high level story is you play as cinema a Celtic warrior from the Pict tribe who is on a mission to rescue the soul of her slain lover. I don't think they were actually married or anything yet. No, just, they weren't. Uh, Dillion uh, from Helheim. Correct. So basically uh, the the Vikings invaded the Northmen, as they call them in the game, invited Invaded, not invited. And they were, they invited, were not in, invited and then they, then they
1: were really rude guests the whole time.
0: <laughs> Just got mad, started flipping <laughs> tables, and ruined everybody's <laughs> lives. But anyways, and then so they uh, raided a village, killed her, killed her boyfriend, and then she goes on this quest to rescue his soul. But the thing about it is that Senoa suffers from very, very advanced psychosis and mental illness. And so you basically throughout the whole game, you're playing through this witnessing and experiencing all of the effects that that is plaguing, having on her mind and so you go to all these different locations solving all these different puzzles and, and basically like that on the, on your quest boom story. story
1: yeah and that's as much as we can tell you without giving a shit ton away so because
0: (laughs) and the nice and the thing about this game too like we started both started playing this game monday i believe and it last monday and then it's it's a saturday morning now when we're recording so and we like i finished it last night um so it's i believe it's eight hours nine hours if you do like everything which there's not a whole lot else outside of the story uh that you can that you can do So,
1: correct. It is a very linear game. Yes, very much so. But before we get more into the mechanics and how the game functions and the story, I do know this game has a very interesting development history. Yes. Which Jared pointed this out to me. I feel like a fool for not realizing it. (laughs) Who spends time on the start screen for starters? Well, because for one,
0: (laughs) I I clicked on it by accident because it's, well, not by accident. I was curious. I thought it was like going to be lead to another menu of stuff. And Uh, then it started and it was like, hey, don't watch this until after you beat the game. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, Oh, I knew I had okay. something to come at back to. to. I should have told you about it. You
1: should have told me. But I'm anyways, sorry. what we're talking about is on Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice start screen. There is apparently a uh, button that says feature. Yeah, Hellblade So there's feature. like start, continue, settings, feature. And I totally missed it. Didn't even look at it because I just played the game like a normal person. Uh, but as Jared explains to me, it is actually a short 15 minute documentary Mm -hmm. about how the game was made which i definitely am gonna go back and watch that now because i feel so dumb having not seen it so give me your synopsis of the making of hellblade
0: okay so basically what it is is the director and writer of the game tamim tamim antonio there's, that's how you say his name
1: are you sure <laughs> yes i <laughs> let, actually let heard it. him
0: on a video <laughs> oh, okay, say it okay. and i was like gotcha got it all
1: right man um, thank god because sometimes people don't and you're like Jesus, oh yeah and, I have no
0: idea so he uh, and so he was right in direction and kind of had this idea for it and the basis of it is set and he was saying in this thing that the basis of it is is set in like this uh in celtic history there was a queen or maybe even a god that the celts had names that was with a name very similar to Sinua, and he was like okay well that's what i'll name my character uh it's very much based on the fact that you know the celts and specifically Sinua, is a member of the Pict tribe and they were like the last holdout that the romans couldn't conquer when the romans came to to what is now great britain and and so they you know, we're up in the, in the north, you know, the Romans built Hadrian's Wall, and it was this whole thing that they couldn't be conquered, but apparently the Vikings did, and the Northmen did.
1: Well, of course they because, did. Because, yeah, the Romans, <laughs> like, trapped them in the north, and they couldn't get away. And so, you it's know. It's like, well,
0: shit, <laughs> we're boned. And so that's kind of like the whole history of this setting. And then, obviously, it's all based around the culture and history and myth and mythology and all that, especially of, of Norse mythology, which I must say was really great to, again, have another game with that since I just finished God of War.
1: I do think it's really interesting that, uh, you know, over time, you notice more and more that not only in terms of games, but in a lot of media, different periods in time will tend to have their time in the spotlight. Yep. It was, for a very long time, Greek and Roman mythology. Right. Then it was Egyptian mythology. Now it's Norse mythology. Which, hey, so on, I'll take Norse mythology. On the Norse one mythology. hand, it's I awesome. love Norse mythology. On the other hand, I'm kind of like, man, another game
0: about Nor- well, technically, it would be God of War would be the one that's oh, another game. Because yeah, it, it came would be because after.
1: Hellblade came first.
0: <laughs> uh, but anyway, so like we said, the game was developed by Ninja Theory. And so what he wanted to do, though, what Tamim wanted to do was that he wanted to really take this example because he had been throwing around in his mind of a way to, to sh- show and highlight uh, mental illness and bring awareness to it. And so he wanted as to be kind of the, the focus of this game is to, is to have it. You're doing this going through this thing, but from the mindset, like we said, of a woman suffering from, from a very great mental illness. And so to do that and to really get it right. But that was the thing. He's like, I don't want to do this bland. I don't want to make this just like to be a simple, um, what's the word? Caricature or, or something of, a or stereotype. stereotype. Thank you. That's what I was looking a for. Caricature. I was tra- I you was picked
1: like, the harder word. <laughs> I, know. I, was, I was
0: fighting all over the place of what I was wanting. He's like, I didn't want this to just be a stereotype for when you think, what, what you think of. And so they worked with professors who study psychosis and, and mental illness. They worked with care workers for people who take care of people with mental illnesses. They even talked to some people with mental illness. There was this, br- this moment in the feature where they had like quotes from people that they talked to. It within scenes from the game where they had implemented those things. Awesome. It was very well done. And so it was this whole thing of, you know, as he goes into it, um, he had a couple quotes that I, that I pulled from it that as I was listening to it, uh, that basically, you know, when you're playing the game, you could think that this is all just a, you know, you're in this because it's, it's like you're actually in this Norse mytho- mythological world. Like you're actually there, you're actually doing all this stuff because it's just so fantastical you know yeah. like it very much seems like something that you would be living out in like a Norse myth play or something like that but basically what he's saying is is that people who suffer this psychosis and mental illness to the extent that she does like they believe that it is their reality so the game while out there you know has like these crazy settings enemies and all this other stuff that's her reality like she thinks it's real so you're so basically you're supposed to play this as like it's real and then This other thing that he was talking about is just like with all these different things and puzzles and ways that you interact with the, with the environment, which granted, yes, that's a environmental puzzles and things like that are a very much mainstay of games. But this is the way that these puzzles take place is very much highlighted from their talks with people with mental illness. And he said like, he came to the realization that it's not necessarily that the question of like, how do we represent this weak you know, represent this weakness or something is inherently a, a bad question because really Granted, yes, there are terrible side effects to it, like with voice, hearing voices, seeing you know believing these alternate realities of well like what she sees in the game and all that. but in the way there are some, several. one of the things that he talked about is a lot of people described their their psychosis and things like this as making things more beautiful and more in depth, and then being more in tune to certain things, and so he's like, so it's really not a weakness per se, as much as it is just a different way of seeing the world and then he goes on to talk about how, like, a lot of the innovations and things that we would have today came from people seeing things differently. So, the, so it became more of a thing of not necessarily being like, "This is what mental illness is," but also as a way to the people who play the game who do not suffer from mental illness, such as you know, like, as myself. That it n- helps to overcome the stigma of, of like, "Oh, they're not like insane. They're not crazy. It's yeah. just they see things differently." Yeah. And in this, I have to say. When the game ended, I felt that they had achieved that.
1: Yeah, uh, I we, had a
0: much different like feeling and, and outlook on things. After ab- I
1: absolutely, we'll talk more about that once we're past kind of the uh, threshold of okay, now we're going into spoilers. Uh, but for now, I kind of want to hold hold back, hold back for just yeah, yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, I think that's at its core. I definitely think you should all go watch it. It's probably on YouTube also at this point, too. Oh, the feature. The feature, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I highly recommend it, and definitely wait until after you've played the game because it has a lot of spoilers. All the spoilers,
1: just all of Um, them.
0: But yeah, so with that, then, what were things about it? You know, obviously, again, avoiding spoilers, but like things about it that you really like stood out to you.
1: So for starters, I... You know, I had only seen of Senua what I, you know, game trailers, Mm -hmm. just images and trailers. I had never really looked that deeply into the game as it's at at terms of gameplay or its actual story. So when I started the game and you're on uh, the boat, Senua's on the boat, she's going to Helheim uh, where she's going to wear she'll eventually get to Helheim. I was like, wow, this cutscene's really pretty. And then you get off the boat, and it's still the game. It's still pretty. And I was like, holy shit, this is such a good-looking game. The
0: graphical ability, Considering
1: the fact that this is an indie game, I'm like, wow, indies uh, are pushing the envelope.
0: I saw that they described it as a a triple-A indie game.
1: It is, that's the thing. It is a triple-A game in indie packaging, and it's like, holy crap. So the just the very like the, the the shock value of me being like this is where indies have gotten to was really mind blowing because you know most people when they think of indie games they're like oh you mean like your own uh two D pixelated side scroller puzzle game which a lot of indies are and they're amazing right. but this is a far departure from that style of indie it's just gorgeous I mean I've played triple A games that are worse <laughs> That are yeah. blatantly worse. So for starters, I was very shocked by the actual graphic quality and mechanical quality of the game. The, uh, motion controls are very fluid. Sinoa's movements are very real, very beautiful. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they used a ton of motion capture, rotoscoping and live action sequences, yeah, yeah. like just straight up live action sequences. But, uh, Overlaid and effective. Yes, overlaid. That's the word I'm looking for. But overlaid in such a way as to make it not quite so obvious that these are just regular people acting out a scene. So in that regard as well, it is absolutely worth stating that the star of Senua is is Senua. Like yes. you are playing the game as her, she's your title character, but you're also experiencing from experiencing it from this fascinating perspective of the game introduces you to Senua not in first person, but as third person and you are cast essentially in the role of Another voice in the chorus of voices that are already in her head. Right. So which you, is
0: the the furies. Is what yes, they call so in, she in hears,
1: so part of her sight, a part of her mental illness is that she hears many voices in her head all the time. Most of them are female, and you, as the player, are supposedly one of them. Of course, you don't really interact that much no. with Senoa in that regard, but that's how you're supposed to be viewing the story play out, which A, What a cool way to frame it. I just think that that gives you such a personal perspective on it. And it makes you feel very sympathetic towards Senua as opposed to like a voyeuristic view of, oh, what's wrong with this weird creature? Nothing, because you're part of her. I think it makes you feel very compassionate towards what she's going through.
0: Definitely. And also, along with the the thing about this game too, that I was, like, I didn't notice it at first, but then like as I started like a few minutes in like as soon as it started I didn't notice but then after I had been playing for like 30 minutes or so I was like oh wait there's no compass there's no any indication indicators there's on no anything HUD. there's no hud at nope. all which is then but then as I noticed and was playing more I realized what would be the hud are the furies
1: Correct. Yeah, they like kind of They, tell, kind they of like they, talk they, about. They, things. they guide you.
0: But and it and it was an interesting thing. Remember, one of the things that I didn't like about Transistor is that you had the constant narrator of the sword. Oh,
1: yeah. But in this one,
0: loved it. Like it, really? Like <laughs> I really did, and I think it was because of the execution and the and the meaning behind it. Uh, and so I really was just like, it, even though the t- the Fury's talking is constant, I was never. It never got became too much, or or even or even where I was like a feature I became annoyed with. Um, and, and so I just really thought that was a, an incredible way of doing it. And also, so that was the one thing too and that I noticed immediately as it started is graphically, technically it's amazingly beautiful for and even beautiful, even though that some of the settings are incredibly dark, incredibly uh, frightening, incredibly threatening. It's still though, just had this atmosphere to it that was insane.
1: So I will say that I was also a little bit surprised by how visceral the game is. So for people that may be a little bit more uh, on the sensitive side, I would really, I would personally describe this game as adventure horror.
0: I was saying I was thinking that to myself too, especially once you got into the yeah. later things. I was like, oh, this is yeah. way more survival horror than I this thought it is, was going to yeah.
1: be. Yeah, so in terms of survival, we don't mean that you're collecting items, you're not crafting things. Yes. We just mean that you literally have to not die yeah. <laughs> in a world world that is very violent and very, uh, very dark, unforgiving, very unforgiving. So it, it do have a little bit of caution when you're going into the game and some of the scenes and the way that they are shot and in the way that I was trying to look up the actress's name, isn't it? Um,
0: Melina Jurgens.
1: I could never get her. her Melina. Yep. Melina Jurgens. I had the last part, but not the Who
0: first part. was the video editor for uh, Ninja theory. And then she was their stand in for when they were refining their mocap. And then they were like, you're actually real good. How about you? Just they do were this? like, we're on a tight budget here. Could you just like do the thing? So really quick on that. I can't decide. I'm like doing and I've done and looked, was it actually an, an indie game? Cause like Ninja theory has done like DMC devil may cry. Like, so it was like,
1: if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it featured at the game awards under the indie category?
0: I just wanted to be sure before we like go this whole episode being like, it's an indie game. People like, no, "No, it's really not game. Okay. I'm going to, I'll just double check while we're going. But anyway, so yeah, like, and then not only did it look, this game probably had like, and as far as look too, like I noticed the lighting was always incredible too. And how the lighting was used. Uh, especially in like sometimes in environmental puzzles and different things like that. Incredibly done. But the one thing though that stood out so much to me in this game, probably more than any other game I've played, is the sound design.
1: Yes. I Insane. Assume, did you play it with your headphones on?
0: Uh no. Oh. Not until last night when I was finishing, because I kind of told Sam, I was like, This one might like it's got if you don't know what's going on, the sounds coming out of this, especially oh, as you're trying to go be to scary. sleep. <laughs> it's you a, know, like, you're gonna have some I'm gonna play with headphones. And then I was nightmares. I was like, Oh my god, this is even better
1: you should have been playing I should have played it. so uh, so the thing is for anyone that's going into the game we would very much recommend play it with your headphones on or in does. because the sound effects Part of psychosis or part of the type of psychosis that Senoa has is that, of course, she hears voices. And the way that those are portrayed in the audio design is maximized by wearing your headphones. So just, just to make sure that you're getting the maximum experience out of it and having the most reaction to the sound design, uh, put your headphones on. You are definitely going to maybe not like it per se. I feel like the word like may not be the right word to use there, but you will get a lot more out of the experience by maximizing the audio quality.
0: Okay, so it's a AAA game because Ninja Theory does their own, like, they do make AAA games like DMC, Devil May Cry, but they self-published which would makes it? Annoying.
1: That makes it an indie game, so there baby. We go.
0: <laughs> so that's why I could say AAA. So, okay, I just wanted to clear that for my own mind. Um But no, the sound. So in the feature, they also talked a little bit about how they did some of the things, and with the sound design for the Furies, they basically set up this microphone that captures the 3D recording space of audio in the middle of the room, and they had the actors who were playing the Furies come and like get right up into it and then move away and all this other stuff. And that's how it makes this just like all over and around you. It's ridiculous. And it's, and like not even just the, the voices, the furies, but even the sound for, uh, atmospheric sounds, combat sounds, um, and just all the different parts of it. It just, I don't think the sound design has stood out to me near as much in this game as it did, in any other game as it did in this game.
1: Yeah. And speaking of which, you mentioned the combat. So I do want to talk about that pretty briefly. So again, this was something that I just wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. Because what I knew of Hellblade, like I knew that she was a Celtic warrior and stuff, but I genuinely wasn't expecting there to be combat. Oh, I yeah. just I, I don't know See, what I was I somehow expecting. missed it
0: that she was Celtic. I thought she was also Norse. No. And so then once I got into it, I was like, oh, I understand it now. It makes Makes a little (laughs) bit more sense now. So
1: I was really surprised, A, that there was combat at all, and B, I love the way that they didn't tell you how to do it. They didn't tell you how to do anything. They don't tell you how to do anything. So Outside of combat and in combat. Yeah, there's no tutorials. The game just puts you in. You have no idea what your buttons do. You don't really know what the range of your abilities in terms of mechanics are. And that is very much highlighted the first few times you get into a fight. And it's like, wow, I have no idea
0: what the hell to do. I wondered how you would acclimate to the combat because I play similar style games like that a lot. And so I'm kind of used, I was not used to though, the controls being all on the right hand. Oh. Normally like the, like your block was R1 and then your attack buttons were square and triangle right. and circle. And X was like evade. Normally your block is on the left, is left trigger or left bumper. And so that's what I kept like out of habit hitting. But then, but after a while, it was just I got used to it and was able to to do it all and all that stuff. But I thought that was an interesting design choice, but not one that I was like. But I so I wondered how quickly you would acclimate to it.
1: Well, so what I really did is that I'm a pretty patient player in a lot of ways, and I found that in terms of how I approach battle, I, I very much am just wait and strike because I would primarily utilize the parry system. So something that Senua does is when you're in combat, if the enemy comes at you with any kind of strike and you block and parry it at the right time, it, of course, throws them off their balance and it gives you the perfect opportunity to go in and get some serious blows on them. Right. And that's almost how I played the entire game. I would wait parry strike Wait, especially Perry, strike.
0: later in the game when you did start facing more than just two or fun one. fact
1: I initially didn't know that you could evade <laughs> so I was like oh. well I guess I'm just stuck here so I actually died a couple of times well not died but like took some serious damage where you had to do, like times. recover and she- yeah, yeah because I just didn't like it didn't even occur to me that, that evasion dodge. might be a key come and on now so actually the way that I figured it out is eventually I heard my furies go evade and I was like that's well, how I
0: figured out so yeah. many things in the game like
1: what do you mean evade can i do that and so of course like any gamer i was like well maybe if i just mash x and so you can actually evade you can kind of roll you can back up uh
0: you could use r l1 to run and get yes. like a leap attack.
1: So actually, I did realize that pretty quickly because I would get a parry on him, which sometimes pushes them back out of your range. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what if I run at him? And then she kind of like actually shoulder bashed him yeah. the first time I did. It and I was like, oh, cool. That's sweet.
0: It was really great.
1: And then there was a point uh, kind of in the beginning of the game where I don't want to say too much for spoilers right now, but you get a way that I initially did not realize was essentially your freeze time. The focus? Correct. So part of the game's primary mechanic is anytime Senua encounters something that is of note Mm -hmm. in the world, it'll come up with kind of this shimmery circle around it. And what you're supposed to do, as your fairies will tell you, they'll say focus. And so that's just holding down R2. And so basically your view just zooms in on whatever it is you're trying to focus on. And then that triggers something to happen. Right. As it turns out, you can also use that focus ability in battle, but it's got to get charged. <laughs> it's got to get charged, which are all things that took me a long time to put the pieces together.
0: I don't think in the early combats you could focus though.
1: You couldn't at first you couldn't. And that's why I said kind of early, right? Mode, because right. you don't immediately get the, uh, the item that allows you to do that,
0: which the focus, um, Another thing from the feature is the thing that wanted that uh, Tamim wanted to put into the game to show as like her benefit.
1: Oh, gotcha. Her, that...
0: her way of seeing things differently I that see. she was able to focus, find the opportunities, find the things that just in normal looking around that other people wouldn't see.
1: I like that a lot and it, it worked out really well in combat too. Once I did finally figure it out, I was like, wow, it's so much easier now. I was really without meaning to just because I didn't really take the time to explore all the controls. Mm-hmm. I was playing the game on hard mode. I was like, <laughs> this is so hard.
0: The one thing about combat that was difficult and I felt like could have been better was switching targets yes that got cl- clunky real yeah. quick yeah
1: oh man because especially when you're fighting more than one and they get uh, behind you yeah oh dude luckily I did really appreciate uh, in the gameplay that your Furies would be like bitch behind you of course they and wouldn't say it that so, way as soon
0: as they were like behind you you could hit the block and she'd like turn yeah do a block and then would set up another combo man the f- the fluidity was great yes. I love that the controls little clunky yeah,
1: and, at the, at and I ran into
0: clunky. like a little bit of clunkiness in just general in general areas somewhat in the gameplay controls. There were a couple times like jumping off ledges, trying to get uh, onto ledges, different things like that. There's a part later I want to see if you when we get into more spoilery stuff that I want to ask you if you ran into. Well,
1: so touching on that, that is one of the very few genuine complaints that I have about the game. Isn't even the combat, it's the range of movement that you have in the natural environment. Yeah. Like, all of the things that you just touched on, climbing up and down ladders, getting up and down from ledges, I hated that you had to push X yeah. to interact with those things. Like, if I walk up to a ladder, just go up the ladder. That's yeah. clearly what I'm doing. I'm
0: kind of, like, 50-50 on that because it depends on the thing because one of my, like, small complaints with Horizon Zero Dawn is that she would just drop off a ledge. <laughs> it had the option to hit and you would just run off. (laughs) Whereas if you were, got to the edge and then kind of like slightly paused and then hit square, she would drop down. Aloe would drop down and grab. So I'm kind of like 50-50 on that. I don't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily bug me. There were just some things about it that felt a little clunky and unrefined. Yeah. But, at the end of the day, not enough to ruin my experience, just cause some mild frustration. I here just and there. found
1: myself wishing for a little bit more natural freedom of movement. Yeah. Uh it is. Oh, this kind of it leads into my one and only complaint. You know, I totally get why it's this way, mm-hmm. but there's that part of me from like Breath of the Wild mode where fe- where I felt very constrained by the linear gameplay. Yeah, and that's in this type of game. That's for a purpose. So very I much so. understand absolutely why it's built that way but there's always that part of me in the back of my gamer brain that's like climb all the walls and it would just go up there and the make only life bit
0: happen this isn't a spoilery but the only bit of real exploration there is is that there are these lore stones set up around the around the game that is your one of the voices in your head basically is your old friend truth uh who was captive by the Norsemen way before and then he escaped and he did yeah, he's dead now. <laughs> he's dead now. But he, uh, but like when you are spending your year in exile, which is a part of the story, which not a spoilery, but like you ran into him at, at, during that time, and he like tells you this uh, story about the Norsemen. So that's where you know all these things. and You run across these lore stones, focus on them, and he gives you a bit more like Norse mythology stuff, which was really great to listen to and hear. Those are the only things that you kind of have to search out and find.
1: Yeah, and they're optional. They are so optional, although they these... are. Oh no no. Oh
0: okay. Never mind. Never mind.
1: But when you see the lore stones, um. They're really, wait, where was I going with that thought?
0: I don't know. Did I totally I, throw you off track? I, you probably, you kind of did.
1: That's all right. We'll just move on. It, it clearly wasn't important. Um,
0: I'm trying to think. Where you oh, I that did too. have a question though. Yes.
1: So question for you. Uh, do you think Druth is or ever was real? Yes. Really?
0: Watching the feature.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Because when I played through the game, um, I, so there's this really common thread, but
0: it's not like super,
1: there's this really common thread in a lot of especially horror literature where it's the idea of the unreliable narrator yeah. and it's like, okay, you're telling me the story, but can I trust what you're telling
0: me? That's how I was with this whole game.
1: Yeah, so part of what I, uh, it was my theory going through the game that Druth is one of the personalities or voices that Senua had created for herself, essentially to act as her mentor. Mm-hmm. Because the character of Druth, uh, the whole idea is that he suffers from the same or very similar mental illness that Senua does. So the way that I saw it was, well, she kind of invented Druth as her own internal compass for yeah. how she herself can navigate her uh her illness so I, that's what i thought and I, i'm sure that a lot of people don't agree but i was like i don't think druth is real yeah. <laughs> or that he ever was real
0: <laughs> okay so let's see let's uh i think that we've re- pretty much touched on the mechanic thing so now i do think i want to jump into more of the oh last uh oh other quick little thing notes that i had taken uh there were there were no load screens. You could tell when like the game was loading, but there weren't black load screens. Yeah. So that's always a plus for me now. I love that when games do that. Uh, Melina Juergens as Senoa incredibly good performance.
1: And not just her. So the voice acting and the acting in general, the character of Druth especially. I really really liked Druth. Uh, His voiceover and his narration gave a lot of character to the game and to the world that it's trying to build. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed the portions. Uh, The the acting just in general was I mean,
0: she won awards.
1: Yeah, she won tons of awards and she deserves it. Good God, it was amazing.
0: Uh, One other little thing that I liked is sometimes when when she's focusing on a specific voice, that's in her head, she'll turn and face the camera and talk yeah. to you. Yeah. Giving you the feeling that you're the voice.
1: And it's very close up. It's very close. Like you're it's very right, intense. Yeah, it's up I love close those and sequences. Personal. It does make for very intense gameplay.
0: Alright. Uh, so I think now we are going to jump into some of the spoiler stuff. So if you don't want anything, we're going to talk now about like highlights, favorite moments, different things like that. If you don't want any of that stuff spoiled, turn away now. What were one of like your favorite moments?
1: So I wouldn't necessarily say
0: favorite I, might be a bad word
1: that i had a favorite moment in general or even that favorite moments uh I would say that my real appreciation for the game comes from its entire journey. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is, you know, I don't think that you should approach the game as, oh, it's all fake, it's all just in Senua's head. Who cares if it is? Well,
0: that's what I'm saying Exactly. From her, from yeah, exactly. Quote, the, it's not, it's real.
1: I agree. So the point is, y- it doesn't matter whether it's, air quotes, real or not, you are living a reality as Senua. And the whole point, I think, of the game is to get to... Her own acceptance of herself right, because it is worth mentioning that at the very end of the game uh you know the voices in her so th- I should back up a little bit so sena was kind of side quest, you might say, is yes, on the face of it, she's on a quest to Helheim to save the soul of her now-deceased lover, Dillian. But the whole side story of that is Senua also feels that she is plagued by, air quotes, the darkness, which is her mental illness. Now, this idea of the darkness was really implanted into her mind by her extremely abusive father. Right. So, the way, way back story is Senua most likely inherited her mental illness from her mother's side. We already touched on that a little bit. But her mother was considered, I think they say, a priestess, like a high priestess. So, I I didn't catch
0: that, but it was in the in the feature became more clear, her father is a druid.
1: Yes, I did catch that. Uh, So her father is a druid, and her mother uh, really kind of sees her own mental illness exactly as what the game is trying to tell you. It's just a different way of seeing the world. And her mother is framed as this character that was very much at peace with that, Mm -hmm. but her father, Senua's father, sees sees this as a manifestation of evil Mm -hmm. in the world, that the voices she's hearing are from the underworld. You know, he's Sees it very much as an an abomination upon the gods. Yes. So when Senow was a child, her father burned her mother at the stake, Salem witch trial style. Yep. And Senow witnessed that. And a big part of the game centers around the fact that she very much repressed those memories. So in the early game, it's implied that her mother just kind of died, mm-hmm. like very
0: passively. You're not. I really thought at first how. maybe either died or killed herself. That's
1: what I thought, too. Because Senoa makes a comment very early on the game that the same darkness claimed her mother. Right. What they don't mention at the time is that it really kind of didn't. So the whole idea of the game is that the darkness, again, air quotes, is not Real, not in terms of what it is to Senua, but the whole concept of her mental illness being dark, mm-hmm. being evil, being something that has to be expelled or exercised from her. Which
0: I took to be it by the end was her interpretation of her father.
1: Yes, exactly. So that's what I'm saying is that this idea of her mental illness being dark and evil is. 100% a design by her father. Mm-hmm. It was her father and her lifetime of abuse that made her believe that her mental illness is evil, is dark. And I feel like the whole game is really a a journey of Senua to realize he I shouldn't, allow, I shouldn't listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> He's wrong about virtually everything. And just because he couldn't accept who I am, that doesn't mean that I can't accept who I am. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the game accomplished that message very well.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, one of my thing, I mean, the, the game in and of itself was fantastic. And, it, and like you said, it's the, the journey of it was great. And it is hard to like, I enjoyed the whole thing. I mean, uh, but I would have to say the two, two parts that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, the blindness shard challenge.
1: Oh, yeah. That
0: one was, again, that's where I was like, the sound design is incredible. Because in that challenge, you had to go around. It was This is a part where you're trying to reforge the sword grimeur.
1: Yes, so and, you're on the four trials of Odin. Yes. This is one of the trials of Odin to reforge this magical sword. Because once you actually got to the bridge of Helheim, Hella herself... Just shows really up it. and she's like, bitch, no. And she's like, smacked you own right <laughs> oh, yeah. off of it. So she does break your sword in the process. Right. So now Senua has to go find, a, find new a new sword. One. And I think it's the spirit of Dillion that leads her yes. to find, uh, I call it grammar. Thank you. We're going to call it Kelsey. You know what? The sword is Frasier. Frasier the sword. All right, continue. <laughs>
0: but anyway, so she's going through trying to, has to complete these trials, which as you learn that the game is more based and centered in her, what well, her perception of reality, you realize that these trials are things from her past, that memories, that repressive, and exactly. th- things like that. But the blinding shard one, basically, yeah, pretty much completely dark, few faint shimmers of light here and there, basically giving you as a guide somewhat where to go. But w- again, this is one of the more technical aspects of the game that I was like, this is great because it really relied on sound yeah. to help guide you, and also feel like your controller would vibrate, again, telling you which way to go. Again, put your headphones on, people a mistake that I was. Yeah. Come on, Jared. Jesus. But (laughs) still that one, how that one all operated was incredible. Now the plague one, (laughs) <laughs> Hated. <laughs> that one was so hard.
1: Well, so there were certain things about the game, uh, sp- specifically a couple of the trials, like you said, the Plagues one, and actually one of the early game things, the uh, Trial of Cert, where you're trying to get to Cert to defeat him. Oh, that him, one was hard. I just thought it was boring. So the whole thing about Cert is that he's like the Lord of Fire, and in comparison to the trials of Valravins,
0: Valravins was great.
1: Valravins was awesome.
0: Awesome! The whole Val sequence is oh, great. Oh yeah!
1: Oh, it was so great. Like the puzzles were super interesting. I loved the idea of having to go through the different gates to see the world in a different way to make certain parts of the oh, world to come so and good. go. So I actually did Val robins first.
0: I did and first. and then
1: I did Certs. So when I did the second one that was just like fire and brimstone, mm-hmm. I was like, "Wow, this is really boring." Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Like,
0: see, so I, I did, did Surt- sutra first, and then I did Val Robin. So was, Just
1: this in, is great. In comparison, I was just like, "This blows! This is so boring." <laughs>
0: Uh, so I love that one. Those, those were all great sequences. But yeah, the the plague one where you had to run through the barn as the, as like the fire thing was chasing you, Ugh. I died like three times. <laughs> Which, quick aside, to the dark rot. Yes. How did that affect you the whole time you're playing? It made me super nervous the whole time.
1: See, I feel, I don't know, this, I could totally be wrong about this, but either I didn't fail enough for it to have any memorable impact or part of me feels like is it actually really re- so so
0: so i tracked my deaths okay i died 9 times
1: okay you died 9 times so i i wonder at what point does the rot actually so the rot we should say is uh the physical manifestation of Senua's illness it's mm-hmm. it's basically this uh thing in her hand it looks like you know just A plague, kind of. Yeah. And the idea is that if you fail certain challenges, if you die in combat, that kind of stuff, you don't really die, but the rot will spread up your arm and eventually get to your brain, and it will kill you for real. I assume that eventually, if you fail enough, it might actually kill you. And the whole thing that the game explains really early on, which is one of the few things that explains to you in writing and not through speech, is, hey, if the rot gets to your brain and you die... You go back to square one. The game basically resets itself. You failed entirely. It scrubs all of your save data. You got to start over. Yeah. So part of me feels like I think that's kind of just like a kind of the fire under your seat to get you to not fail. But I I don't know how many times you would have to actually die for that to have any because, mentionable impact.
0: Right, because at the same time, I mean, obviously, it, this game is about the journey, not necessarily all the other things. So they don't want to hinder you. And honestly, it's if I got dark, Souls. if I had got to the very last end and then died fighting, you know, the the final bosses, and then it said, "Oh, you died," yeah. I would have been you've been
1: pit irate. <laughs> You're right, irate. That's uh, a better word.
0: <laughs> but um, I'm trying to find something. Okay, but anyway. So yeah, so that, I thought that was a very interesting thing to kind of act as like this incentive of face everything with fear. Fa- you know, this could literally be your last standoff. Don't take any opponent, any challenge, any puzzle for granted because had it a could be the end. a way more
1: laissez-faire attitude um, about it.
0: <laughs> I did not. Um, I
1: was not worried about the rod. I was like, whatever, if I die, I die.
0: <laughs> so the other really big moment though that I was just totally in love with because of... The setting, the atmosphere of it, the music to it, and then just the flow of the section was the Sea of Corpses. Oh, yeah. The music like kicked in and it was this really great epic kind of epic score to it. I felt like I was more of an in flow with everything, with how my combat, my combos, using focus, and they threw a whole bunch of enemies at you in that section. Yeah. And, It was also like I was able to get through that section without dying, but still I just felt it. Just everything clicked in that moment for me in the game, and it just was amazing. And it 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 ended, and I was just like, "Oh my god, that was one of the best sequences."
1: So I understand that uh, you know it's the Sea of Corpses. Of course, you have to fight a bunch of undead enemies, but part of me uh, didn't really like the style of the game where it just throws enemies at you. The little scrubby enemies, I I will admit, I got kind of tired of fighting them. Uh, After I had figured out the controls a bit more and I really had a better grasp of how the combat works, I did find that I had the attitude of, okay, come on, let's just get through this. I can get through this guy, yeah. Yeah. So, more than anything I felt that those were just little Little hindrances, and it did kind of annoy me. But like, for example, you're in the Sea of Corpses again. You're gonna it's be the fighting kind of a lot thing, of stuff. I get it. Like, yeah. I'm not mad that it happened. I was just a little annoyed with it at and the I, time.
0: And I feel like they um, they kept those sequences where you did have to fight a ton of people pretty limited. Like there was the one where you're first crossing the bridge to Helheim. Uh, there's the Sea of Corpses. And then at the very end.
1: Yeah, the, the, the final
0: battle. Um, the, those are like the three big ones. that They threw a lot of stuff at you. Um, the one thing I was going to see if you did get caught up in was when you... The in Helheim and you're trying to run around and get away from the beast. Oh.
1: Which that whole sequence wait, is Wait, great. wasn't that Fenrir?
0: Yes. Yes. Faf, Faf, Fafnir, no, Fafnir was the... Dragon that in the lore, Yeah.
1: Fenri- Fenrir. I think it's Fenrir. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so Fenrir
1: were from Harry Potter.
0: <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> but anyway, so that whole, that whole level with like having to stay out of shadows, stay in the light oh, and everything. Yeah. Incredible sequence as well. But crawling into the cavern through his, when you had to crawl the very end right before you got to his layer,
1: oh. that killed
0: me like three times because it kept glitching out and getting stuck. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so that was like the one thing, like with some of the controls, because apparently when you get to the very end, you're supposed to stand, but I thought you were just supposed to keep crawling. And so she just got stuck there because I wasn't hitting X to like, just climb up over that little tiny ledge.
1: Oh, I didn't know. I didn't get stuck there. I got killed
0: like three times.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. And I I
0: got killed three times. And This is when I, and I was like, I'm not going to like permadeath out doing this. I know I'm close to the end here. So I like stopped. Say you know, reloaded, and then everything was fine. I was no, that did them. not
1: happen to me. But yeah,
0: so that was a little. That's small a thing. bummer, man. <laughs> I know, but no, I still like. Then after that, like the fight against him was was a great fight.
1: So it is kind of also worth mentioning that uh, I think you could argue that Fenrir, in itself, I mean, it's done in a couple of different ways. Uh, but oh, it. good sir. Uh, it seemed like Fenrir really kind of was the physical manifestation of the specter of her father. Yeah. And uh, so it actually has his voice, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so Fenrir has his voice, and it's kind of the uh, penultimate boss before you fight Hela, the goddess of death. Uh, So I, I did really enjoy that sequence. I did too.
0: Um, also
1: great design for Fenrir. What a oh, scary ass creature. Scary boss. Jesus Christ.
0: <laughs> very, very terrifying. Oh, the whole game that, and that's during Hellhive sequences. I was like, this is like a horror game. Kind yeah.
1: Of. that That's what I'm saying. I feel like it's adventure horror. Yeah. I wouldn't even really call it action per se. I feel like it's just like all horror. Because with all, with all the, the, the different time. things that happened
0: dealing with the, the, you know, the influences of her, of her mental illness, uh, all the beasts, the enemies, and all that stuff, it just all came together in this incredibly like, horrifying package. It's
1: brutal, man. <laughs> yeah, it is
0: a very brutal. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't really think... Those are the, like, the main things that I, that I played out. Again, I don't want to overhash and like ruin this for anybody, but these, like, these are just the big moments that are, like, I needed to... Like, I was like, this was great. I wanted to talk about that.
1: I do have one other broad thing to talk about that I sincerely appreciated about the game, sure. which is that it did feature, at minimum... What, 50 very prominent female characters? Mm-hmm. So, but what I really want to say about that is that so there's Senua, of course. There's the voices in her head, which actually are voiced by a couple of different women. And then there's her mother and Hela, the mm-hmm. goddess of death. In all cases, I was very happy that in none of them did they over sexualize. Or try to over-feminize the female characters. Mm -hmm. Hela's design in particular I really liked because, yeah, she is a giant naked lady, but she's horrifying. Mm -hmm. There's nothing sexual about her. She's just really freaking scary. And I really liked that because I feel like especially with a lot of games where there is a prominent female villain – that villain is—it's su- always like the sexy lady, right, and right. it's like, wow, I'm really tired of this trope. And I'm so—I was I, because you know you don't immediately see Hella when you start the game. So the first time I saw her, a, I was very surprised to see that they kept her a giant. Yeah, she's literally a giant lady. And b, I was so happy that her design. Is such a fresh take on death because it was the most literal. Like parts of her entire body appear to be like collapsing and or decomposing just decomposing. Yeah, dec- of yeah, decomposing away. She's got this gray, horrible, tattooed skin and like these black eyes. I was like, wow,
0: the really great. Design.
1: That's a female villain.
0: And you get the idea from Senua that uh, from her past story as the game goes on, that she was actually a very accomplished fighter and warrior.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, she she learned uh, all of her sword fighting from watching Dillion, which mm-hmm. is how they met in the first place. So just in terms of the characters and the strength of the female characters in different ways, right. I was very happy
0: about Well, and then that. the progression of Senoa's strength, especially in the in the fight against... Hella at the end, where you're, where, you know, when Hella, like the final stage of the Hella fight, where she's very small at the yeah. end and you're fighting just the unending horde. Right. You are so powerful in that moment. You're taking down the big giant enemies in two, three hits. Yeah. And so I felt like that was an excellent way to show like Sinua's mental strength and progression and journey of that, you know, before it would take a while to kill even the small enemies. And now here she is just kicking ass and taking yeah. names. And it was a c- truly powerful moment, I think. Absolutely. Like, so, I guess in conclusion, how did you, how would like overall thoughts? Like what, what would be your score? Like where, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because I figure you can give your score. I can give my score. And then we can average for the official score.
1: Well, I've got some bad news for you, buddy. Because I'm going to go on ahead and say I don't have a score for <gasps> this game. What?
0: But we have to tell the people if they I like have it I have
1: no score. Now, I will say play it. I think that I think that the vast majority of gamers should play Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice and the vast, majority of, and the vast majority of people should play this game as well. I feel like a lot of people can get different things out of it. Even if you don't like the combat too much, you may not be a big fan of puzzles, but the story of Senua and the journey that it wants to take you on is absolutely worth it. Yes. So, Hellblade too good for numbers. Cannot give it that bland type of label. So, no score,
0: just good. I mean, I will say it's going in my top 10.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I loved it.
0: I loved it that much. Gotcha. I mean, obviously, we just set up the list. So, I'm going <laughs> like, to wait till next year to, say, to, little, fi- to find its official placement. Little preliminary, Jerry. <laughs> so, I mean, I was thinking, it, I was putting it, it in terms of numbers to give it one. I was going to, I would have I said like 90, 92. Like, I loved it. Like, I, I mean, it all great.
1: of it, if you had of some fr- small, like gameplay yeah.
0: things, mechanics that kept it from being like that perfect 10 in my head, That you know, the minor frustrations, but still, uh, f- I feel like enough. But then uh, the story and the message of it, I think is what outweighs and puts yeah. it up there. You're
1: playing it for the story. You are. The whole point of Senua is the story yes. and it does it so well in such great detail. Uh, it's 100% worth it.
0: And watching the feature and hearing Tamim talk about all of his goals and his desires and what he wanted people to get out of this project. I was like, dude, you did it. You
1: did it. bro! <laughs> like,
0: you did such a good job and the, he gets and a Ninja, gold star Ninja Theory did such a great job. I'm so excited to see what their what will come from them next, especially now that they've been acquired by Microsoft and they're now part of all the Microsoft, the Microsoft family of studios. I am anxiously awaiting what their next game will be because I am like, a, I'm on board with what they want to do now. right on. So, but yeah, there it is. Hellblade, uh, cinema sacrifice, Definitely play for its engaging story, visceral atmosphere, and incredible sound design. Indeed. But before we go, we do have our soundtrack spotlight for this week, and we're going to, of course, feature music from Hellblade Cinema's Sacrifice. What if we didn't?
1: What if we did like... The Nancy Drew PC mystery
0: well, adventure games. Arc had put in the, in the Discord about oh, the Donkey Kong right.
1: song. Oh, no, <laughs> she gonna, did have a really good one. We'll, but we'll, we're we're not we'll gonna get close, to that. We'll save it, Arc. Don't worry.
0: But we can't so close DK. Hellblade with Donkey Kong Aquatic That would be so, oh, let's theme. just do it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to feature some of this stuff. Uh, so <laughs> we are going to feature a song from the Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice. We will do, oh, Sea so of Corpses. We'll do that one. Alrighty then. So, Listen, stick around for After the Close for that one. But until next time, I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Adios. We'll see you all next time. Stick around for the song.